0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 59 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. A Rugs Life, a.k.a. Mega Ertz, and a.k.a. The Cleveland Brown Note. And I got an exciting show for you today, all right? Look, we are going to get into the tee-off and talk about a fatal car crash involving Raiders, wide receiver Henry Ruggs. I'm going to give you the two minute warning where I give you all the hottest sports news of the week in two minutes or less. I'm also going to get into the five fly picks for week nine of the NFL. And last but definitely not least, I am going to give a big, big, big baller's bouquet to Zach Ertz of the Arizona Cardinals. The fly route pod, the fly route wow. pod, the fly route wow. pod, the fly route wow. wow. pod. Wow. 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 Welcome to the tea off. Oh, oh, oh! Spill that tea, sis. This is how I like to start the show off. I like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. And this week, we got to talk about Henry Ruggs. Now. Former Las Vegas Raider also played college ball at Bama, who recently got into a car crash early Tuesday morning where he rear-ended a woman going reportedly 156 miles per hour, and the crash resulted in the woman and her dog dying. So first off, rest in peace to the 22-year-old woman who lost her life, Tina Tina O. Tintor. My condolences go to her family. It's an extremely sad story when anybody loses their life, but especially when someone so young loses their life. So let's get into the story. Rugs was reportedly traveling 156 miles per hour going down Paradise. And if you don't know anything about Las Vegas, Paradise is like a street with a lot of red lights and stops so how anybody can be going 156 miles per hour going down paradise without just running a ton of red lights makes no sense to me whatsoever now when he hit the car he tried to slow down and was hit the car an impact of reportedly 127 miles per hour the airbags deployed in his car and of course at this point in time rugs was super drunk That reportedly From what the DA said, he was double the legal limit, which is .08, so he was blowing at least a .16. Now, according to police on the scene, they discovered the RAV4, which is the car of the woman that died engulfed in flames. They tried to get out the flames, but by the time they did, the woman and her dog were both deceased, Ruggs was in the car with his girlfriend who had serious injuries as well as himself. They were both sent to the hospital and treated for those injuries. Now, an important wrinkle to this story that came out later today is that Ruggs also had a loaded gun in the car. So he was A drunk, B going 156 miles per hour, and C had a loaded gun in the car with him, which actually in Nevada is not that huge of a deal and not a crime in and of itself. Nevada is a open carry state. How? Ever having a firearm under the influence is indeed a crime. So the DA, Steve Wolfson, is honestly planning to look like he's going to throw the book at him. He is quoted saying that there is no more suspicion. That is a quote. There is no more suspicion. Henry Ruggs made an active choice to drive double the legal limit. And honestly, it looks like the DA is about to give him a three-piece charge and a biscuit, and the biscuit is no parole. So he is in a lot of trouble. If he is convicted, the DUI alone carries a prison sentence from two to 20 years. It is a non-probational offense in Nevada, which means he has to go to jail if convicted for a minimum of two years, and it is a class B felony. He is also charged with reckless driving that carries a prison sentence of one to six years in and of itself. Now, the gun charge surprisingly is the least serious of these charges. The possession of a firearm under the influence is only a misdemeanor charge is punishable by a thousand dollars and up to six months in jail. So at max with all three of these charges, he is looking at like 26 plus years in jail. He would be 48 when he got out then if he got the max here. And honestly, it looks like they are really going to try to throw the book at him. And it's hard for me to blame them. Like there is literally no excuse for what he did, right? There's Uber, there is Lyft. He's in. Vegas, so they also have like chauffeurs and limousines. The NFL in and of itself has a driving service to prevent players from doing this exact thing. He has 53 other teammates just on the roster, not counting practice squad guys, that are all also in Vegas at this time because the team met earlier that day and was going to practice the next day. It makes no sense. He has literally no excuse for this. Now, he had a $150,000 bail, which of course he met and he's back in court november 10th and honestly it looks like like well first off we know henry ruggs football career is over the raiders have already dropped him he's probably going to jail for a significant period of time but his life might never be the same here and to nobody's fault but his own and that was your tee off oh oh oh, spit that t sis ooh, spit that t sis Y'all, y'all, y'all it's Tony Playboy. Welcome to the two minute warning where I give you the hottest sports news of the week in two minutes or less. And we are going to start off hot. Aaron Rodgers is reportedly has COVID and will not be able to play for at least 10 days because he is not vaccinated. And it's interesting because the question now is did Aaron Rodgers lie about being vaccinated? First off, I don't think Aaron Rodgers lied about being vaccinated. He did actively manipulate and dodge the question in a very smart way because we all know Aaron is a pretty smart guy. His team knew he was not vaccinated, and so did the NFL, but no one felt like there was their job to correct the reporting. He has been reportedly following unvaccinated protocols the entire season and been flying separately from vaccinated members of the team. Granted, I don't know how close to NFL protocols it is for that push Shice the party that he was at. However, I don't think that it is the onus on the Green Bay Packers or on Aaron Rodgers to correct incorrect reporting. The reporters were very bad at their job. They asked him a question on if he was vaccinated. He said, I am immunized, right? And they spread misinformation and saying by him saying that he was vaccinated. That can mean literally anything, right? That can mean that he had had COVID at one point in time and he believes he has antibodies for it. Now, in this particular instance, it meant that Aaron Rodgers used a homeopathic treatment that he believed was able to prevent him from getting covid now the nfl denied that request and said he had to be considered unvaccinated but aaron Rodgers believed that it was good enough now on first google of homeopathic medicine webmd says this homeopathy is a medical system based on the belief that the body can cure itself those who practice it use tiny amounts of natural substance like plants and minerals they say look i'm not even going to be a dick about this one. Look, they say it's great for curing issues like depression, headaches, nausea, coughs, colds, bruises, etc. But WebMD also specifically says, "Don't use homeopathic medicine for life-threatening illnesses. You should also avoid using it in place of a vaccine." Some homeopathic products have been marketed as an alternative for vaccines. And there is no research to prove that they are effective. Now Neither here nor there. Aaron Rodgers wants to be a dick about this thing and like take some fake hippy dippy shit that he thinks works It obviously doesn't and he's too smart to actually think that. Fine. Now, that's just an excuse for him not wanting to get vaccinated. That's his choice. Now he has to deal with the NFL COVID protocol. He is out for at least 10 days, which means he's definitely out for the Chiefs game this week. And it means the soonest that he can come back to the team is Saturday. In which the next day they would be playing the Seahawks at home. So Aaron Rodgers would probably have to come off of 10 days of no practice, not being around the team whatsoever, assuming he is asymptomatic and actually fine to play afterwards, and then try to come in code against the Seahawks the following week. It's very likely that we might not see Aaron Rodgers for two. And we are finally gonna get to see what Jordan Love is made of. And that is interesting and exciting for Green Bay Packers fans to say the least. Let's move on. What is- Odell Beckham Jr., the free OBJ train is going hard. Now look, OBJ's dad, OBS, Odell Beckham Sr., posted an 11-minute video on the internet on the trade deadline day of Odell getting wide open and Baker just missing him, not throwing the ball, just getting sacked, etc. It was a propaganda machine at its best, and it went absolutely viral. Now, some people believe this is a coordinated effort by OBJ. And honestly, I don't blame them because after OBJ's dad kind of went in, the next thing we got to hear was saying free OBJ. He's not even a Browns fan. He's a kid from Akron, but he's a Cowboys fan. But he says free OBJ, right? We got other players like John Morant saying free OBJ. It caused a massive firestorm. OBJ obviously did not get traded. And then the team asked him to stay away from, until further notice. He is DMP'd to practice, even though he was available and ready to practice. That's huge because we don't know how long they're going to keep him at home, but what I do know is they're not going to release him. They're going to hold on to him and try to trade him after this season to get some return on their investment. Also interesting that Baker said any type of conversation with OBJ about what happened would go a long way when reporters asked him if he believed that OBJ should apologize to him. Look, OBJ needs to get out of Cleveland, that's the bottom line. Cleveland needs to find a deal that works for Cleveland, that is also the bottom line. When that happens, how long it takes, that's the thats the real tough part. But it doesn't seem like Cleveland wants to let go without a fight. What it is? What is it? Jameis Winston Torres ACL and now there's another quarterback controversy in New Orleans. Look, is it Taysom Hill time? He should be out of concussion protocol for this upcoming game on Sunday. There's a lot of buzz about whether or not the Saints should sign Cam Newton, and I think that's a big storyline here, and I like the idea. Cam Newton's vaccinated now, so there's no worry about that. I don't think it's a bad idea, but I do have concerns about how long it would take Cam to learn and master their playbook. Like, I don't think necessarily Sean Payton's playbook is as complicated as the Patriots playbook, but we knew it took him some time to get into that system, which is why seeing him this year would have been so interesting. But even if this becomes an option, I don't think he's a reasonable start for like three, four weeks. And at that point, you are so into the season. Do you want to mess things up? It depends on how the other people play. Now, I will say this. I believe that Taysom Hill deserves his shot, especially for the next couple of weeks. He went three and one as a starter last year. We all know that Sean Payton loves this guy and really wants to make him work. He's like his personal pet project. I don't want people to think that I'm saying Taysom Hill is better than Cam Newton or can perform better than Cam Newton. I'm just saying in this situation specifically, I would like to see what Taysom Hill could do. If Taysom Hill ends up losing to Trevor Simeon somehow, and it's not because of injury, Taysom Hill would never become the starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints ever. And I'm willing to bet that. Derek Henry's season ending injury, man, look. It's possible he makes it back. He has surgery on his broken foot. It's a Jones fracture. He's out for six to 10 weeks. And look, Derrick Henry is huge. He is 36% of the Titans offense. I don't think any other player gets close to really that much of what a team is. Derrick Henry is the identity of the Titans. But the falling stock of the Titans is something that you should buy. I think they will be okay without him. It A, helps that they play in the AFC South, which is trash. The only other team in the AFC South that has a pulse, they have already beat twice, which is the Colts, which means that they should handily be able to win that division and be able to get to the playoffs. And then we'll see if they can have Derrick Henry back in time for it to matter. But he's a big guy and foot injuries on big guys are always really tough and hard to kind of, endpoint and understand how long it's going to take them to come back but this is finally where the load goes on ryan Tannehill. they paid ryan Tannehill like he was their guy and we now get to see if ryan Tannehill is what he has looked like on tennessee or if he's actually what we saw in miami and he just happened to have the best running back in football behind him and was eating off play action Let's 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 stop play boy. All right, all right. I am going to give you the five fly picks for week nine. Let's get right into it. My first pick is the Bills versus the Jaguars. The Bills are favored 14 and a half points. And I am saying slam that thing. I've been on this for a while, but bad teams are bad and good teams are good. And the craziest thing is I keep saying bet these huge college style spreads, 14 plus points, and those are the bets that are hitting consistently each and every single week. Teams have been covering 14-plus point spreads against the Texans and the Jaguars all season long. They are abysmal and frequently get blown out and look like they quit in games this season. Now, the Jaguars made Geno Smith look like Josh Allen this past week. It was like 31-7 and or something. Imagine what Josh Allen looks like against those same Jaguars. The Bills have covered every single double-digit spread they have had this year, and they have had three of them. I am telling you slam this one now next pick I got going on is the Raiders versus the Giants the Raiders are favored by three and I like this I want to believe in the Raiders for this game and the spread of three is pretty good the Raiders have been hot as of late and they are coming off a bye which is typically good for teams now there's a lot of turmoil going on with the Raiders so I think this is actually a pretty volatile pick and the Rugs drama might be a big distraction however Saquon probably will not play he has not been able to practice yet He's gotten COVID protocol for what looks like a false positive, so he should be available for the game, but will not have practiced all week and has been on the IR for quite some time, so he also is pretty rusty. So he might not have been play. I like the Raiders minus three. They've been able to put up points and have looked like a different team after they lost John Gruden. Now, my next pick right here is the Cardinals versus the 49ers, and I cannot believe I found the Cardinals favored by one. People are, wait, well, first off, slam Cardinals favored by one, but people are way too down on the Cardinals after they lost to Green Bay. I know Green Bay didn't have their top three receivers, but Kyler Murray was in position to win that game. He marched right down the field. He threw the pass. It was a great pass, and A.J. Green just had a complete brain fart. And if it wasn't for that A.J. Green brain fart, they at least would have had multiple other opportunities at the touchdown, and they probably would have won that game. Now, the Cardinals score six more points a game and give up seven less points a game than the 49ers. And for that type of a difference in both scoring ability and defense, this spread is just too small. Now, granted, Caller is questionable, and that probably feeds into this a bit. But from all indications, Caller is going to play and until I see him being completely labored through a game like he was last year, I'm not gonna automatically believe that like taking a large hit, but being able to finish a game means that Kyler Murray is completely done for the rest of this year. Now, last but definitely not least here, the Packers versus Kansas City. It's weird because you thought the Packers should win this game. And if you all follow me on Twitter, you will have seen that as soon as the Aaron Rodgers news came out, I was like, you gotta slam Kansas City. Because Kansas City is a one-point underdog Home against the Packers. So if you got to hop on that train before shit flipped and all the COVID news went crazy, you are in for easy, easy money. Now look, they won't have Aaron Rodgers. He's out for COVID protocol. They still might be out multiple receivers from COVID protocol due to last week. And Jordan Love is apparently going to get his first start in a real NFL game. And honestly, I think Packers fans should be massively excited. But they should probably be kind of scared because Kansas City looks like they can get their act together. If they're going to be willing to focus on running the ball and running the ball hard, then I think there's nothing stopping them from being able to win this game. They're a one-point dog. They could lose by one and it would still cash in. Now, the last pick here, I'm taking the Chargers over the Eagles. Chargers minus 2.5. A lot of people are down on the Chargers. I think they went on a little bit of a losing streak here. And I think the Eagles are a good bounce-back game. For the Chargers, the Chargers have played teams that are better than the Eagles, very close teams like Dallas and New England, the Chargers have beat teams that I think are also so far better than the Eagles thinking about teams like the Raiders, who they recently just beat Philly by 11 points, right? And the Chargers beat them. Now. The stats on this actually tell you this game should be quite close, like in defense. I think the Eagles are actually doing a little bit better as of late on offense. The Chargers are doing just a little bit better, but I think LA is going to come into this game, come in firing because they feel like this is a must-win game for them in the AFC West. The Eagles are coming off a huge trouncing of the Lions, and I think this might make this game a little bit of a letdown for them. Those are your five fly picks. Let me know. Are you going to follow on, tail? see what I got going on? Do you think Anything different about these games? I'd love to hear it. Put it in the comments of the video. It's it's a Playboy affair. All right. Welcome to the final segment of the show, the heart of the show, Baller's Bouquet. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, I like to make a change. And this week's Ballers Bouquet goes to Zach Ertz and his work with the Ertz Foundation. Now look, this is pretty big. Zach Ertz has been traded, as everybody knows, from the Eagles to the Cardinals. And like the first time in his almost a decade-long NFL career, he's not going to be in Philly. And as soon as he got... To the Cardinals, he immediately started to become a pillar of the community just like he was in Philly. He started the score more, feed more campaign in which he provides 5,000 meals for every touchdown that Arizona scores for the rest of the season. And I think this is huge because it kind of mirrors an action that Cleef Kingsbury did recently for, you know, child brain trauma and injury. And I like that. So, he and his mom run this foundation. They're going to be able to give this food to a lot of people. And now this is not the first time that the Earth's Family Foundation and Zach Earth have found that food insecurity is something that's close to their heart and something that they want to solve. Last year, they gave over 600,000 meals through an initiative called Holiday Touchdowns for Meals. They also, in this summer, gave over 500,000 meals through their initiative called Meals and Metals. So giving meals to people who are less fortunate is something that's extremely important to them. And I think it's something that deserves its credit. But even more importantly, after leaving Philadelphia, Zach Ertz is not done being a pillar of the Philadelphia community. And that's actually huge. He is actually transforming a building in Huntington Park in Philly to make it serve teens that are at risk and their families. They've teamed up with Grace and Peace Community Fellowship to change this building to be a big community kitchen and an outside space where kids can gather together and be safe. They can provide college readiness courses, financial literacy, job development, and even an esports platform for these kids to keep them inside, keep them safe, and keep them moving forward in life. They're also gonna have trauma-informed care, care for kids that are dealing with forms of violence and this is just another aspect of what the Earth's Family Foundation does, both in Arizona and now in Philly as well, that he wants to give back to. So if you feel like the Earth's Family Foundation is something that you can get behind, you can actually donate at wwwearthsfamilyfoundationorg slash donate. They're currently asking for $8.60 as their donations for number 86, Zach Ertz. Check them out and give to a good cause. Now, that was it for episode 59 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, I want to say I appreciate each and every single one of y'all for rocking with me, for listening, and just staying with us. I got a lot of big changes coming. I cannot wait to give you the next episode on Friday. The Fly Route Pod, the Fly Route Pod, the Fly Route Pod, the Fly Route Pod.